0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. will help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you are starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling on your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. Blue wire.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. On tonight's show, we're here to break down the New York Giants All-22 Coaches film on the offensive side of the ball during their Week 16 loss to the Baltimore Ravens. So let's start it off like this, Nick. How do you feel, or how are you feeling after watching the all 22 of the offense versus how you felt about the offense on the first go go-around on the broadcast angle
1: I feel similar to be honest I come away thinking that Daniel Jones showed a lot of grit a lot of toughness was a little bit off with some of his deeper throws but overall I'm not putting the loss on Daniel Jones he made a couple really nice plays thought he worked well in the pocket I'm sure we'll dive into him a little bit the offense started off slow for a variety of reasons firstly they're just pretty Uneffective sometimes but that first drive they had two veteran offensive linemen false start bogged the whole drive down the second drive Sterling Shepard ran the wrong route him and Daniel Jones weren't on the same page and then on third down Austin Mack dropped the wide open pass stalled that drive and then by that time the Ravens already had a pretty large lead and the Giants couldn't really get back into it they drove down the field they kicked the field goal and then by the second half the game was virtually it seemed like out of reach even though it wasn't really but overall i I come away feeling actually pretty similar to what i did after the broadcast angle the offensive line in general struggled with wink martindales i would say exotic stunts and blitzes there were communication errors along the offensive line i thought andrew thomas was hit or miss thought he wasn't terrible though. I thought he. Um. I think he gave up a couple pressures. I'm sure we'll get into some of the plays that he struggled on. But he had to go up against two different types of pass rushers in Matt Judon and Yannick Ngakwe. And I felt like he had reps against both of them where he handled himself well.
2: Yeah, I think overall for me, actually, come away a lot more positive than I did after watching the broadcast angle, and most specifically positive on Daniel Jones, because I feel like in this game you hit the nail on the head. It's less so the individual breakdowns on the offensive line, though we will get into them because some of them were egregious. Andrew Thomas maybe had his one or two, but Shane Lemieux, man, I mean, this guy is just not, it's week after week after week with the same mistake over and over in pass, bro. And every time I see it on tape, I think I don't really understand why this guy's playing over Will Hernandez. And then on the right side, it's just a disaster at right tackle over and over. I mean. Yeah, yeah Pert had his issues, and Perrett had that one drive where he just looked terrible, but Fleming's not much better either, and neither to me is a sure thing to be the answer at right tackle in 2021 because we're only a few games away from the 2021 season. I know the Giants are still in the playoff race, and if Washington loses... And the Giants win, they're going to play a playoff game. And it's like the season goes on. But they are a six win team, or what are they? Five win team going for their sixth win. So, I mean, we're nearing that 2021 season. And if you asked me right now, I would not feel very confident with Matt Peretz starting week one of the 2021 season. I want to get into that with you a little bit later. But my confidence brims from what I saw from Jones specifically and individually, and a little bit from what I saw from Garrett, because I actually thought this was Garrett's best game plan and finally he got a little bit more a lot more aggressive i should say with his route combinations but for me the key takeaway here is daniel jones who looked a lot better on film to me than he looked on the broadcast angle and i think a lot of the reason for that is because i got bogged down in the flow of the game you know the giants like you said fell behind 17 nothing had two unfortunate drives to start the game and it felt like at that point the game was just over in my mind it wasn't technically over but Whenever they wanted to, the Ravens were able to move the football with the exception of a really nice stop by Blake Martinez on a third down and short, and then a random fumble by Lamar Jackson. That's really just pure luck. The Giants got that ball back. It really should have been another seven points on the board for Baltimore. But with the exception of all that, and like you said, one more nod, and that's Wink Martindale, who at times in this game, you could tell that whether that be on Dave DiGuglielmo and his group, whether that be on the guys playing the offensive line and their communication, whether that be on Daniel Jones and his ability pre-snap to adjust the protections and to call things out. And even at times, whether that be on the backs, because there was one really bad pickup by, I believe, Deion Lewis.
1: Wayne Gallman, too.
2: And Wayne Gallman as well. There was another. But there were times in this game where Wink Martindale just hoodwinked this Giants off. I mean, there were free blitzers multiple plays throughout this game where they just looked completely unpicked up. And that doesn't even include the, the the stuff you were talking about, the games up front and the stunts that seemed to... Really break down this Giants offensive line. It was a very bad game in general for the offensive line, though I don't feel like specifically I have too much blame to throw around. I feel like the right tackle situation's been what it's been. Sure, Parrott had some more reps that you don't want to see. Lemieux stuff to me is just consistent. And then Thomas, yeah, he had a few more bad reps than usual. But overall, from Jones, what I really like to see were the following, Nick. One, poise in the pocket. There were several occasions where he stood in the pocket, stood tall, and delivered a football pretty accurately while taking big hits. And that's something that dates all the way back to his rookie season with the Giants, and it's something that dates back to his time at Duke. And it's a really good trait to have because you see some quarterbacks who fail in the NFL over a long period of time have the inability to stand tall in the pocket and have that poise They'll either fall back off their back foot or they will try to avoid the sack by rolling in a direction and then being completely taken out of the play as the play goes off schedule and there's nowhere to go with the football. But he stands tall and he delivers the football even under pressure. I thought more importantly than anything that, and I want to hear what you feel about this, I thought Jones did one of his best jobs all season of working through his progressions. You talked about the Austin Mack drop. If you look at that play on the All-22, Jones does a really excellent job working through all of his reads, none of which were open because the Baltimore Ravens had a really nice call on that third down, and then finding the solution, Austin Mack on that little curl. It's a first down. It's thrown at the sticks. Mack just drops it. There was a play later in the game where Jones works back after looking left where he wants that read to go to that side of the field, works all the way back to the right to the field side and rips a ball out to Sterling Shepard, it's an eight-yard game. It's a really good solution for that specific defense that was thrown at him and the lack of open receivers on his first couple of reads, and this was pretty consistent throughout the game with Jones. What I also liked from Jones was I thought he did an excellent job moving in the pocket, There was a play where he rolled to his left, avoided pressure, reset his body by flipping his hips, and we'll talk about these specific plays later, and then found Dante Pettis for a first down at the sticks. Really good job by Jones on that play. It was some of the vintage Jones stuff we saw that was some of the best stuff from his rookie season. So for me, this game was actually a really big plus, a really good game in the plus column for Daniel.
1: Absolutely. And the play you were talking about with 158 left, the throw from the far hash to Sterling Shepard, The Baltimore Ravens, they're known as more of a man team, but they actually ended up playing a lot of zone coverage in this game as well. They were doing their man, and that really sucks for the Giants receivers because these Giants receivers seem to struggle to beat man coverage outside of maybe Sterling Shepard. But on the play, the far side throw to Sterling Shepard, the Giants run a lot of hitch seam routes, which which is a common cover three beater. And Daniel Jones does a good job kind of baiting Marlon Humphrey to go To that seam route on this play, so that hitch kind of opens up. So Daniel Jones opens up the play looking to his left. The throw is to his right. The seam route kind of develops. Daniel Jones looks at it, watches number 44, Marlon Humphrey, come off of the quick hitch route, which is Sterling Shepard. He allows Marlon Humphrey to close with on that seam route before turning to Shepard, firing the ball, and then Shepard has some space. And later in the game, Daniel Jones hit this play again. Now, Shepard picked up a couple yards. It was only four
2: yards on the second time. Yeah.
1: Still good, though. Shepard picked up a couple yards after the catch on this first play. Marlon Humphrey didn't bite for it the second time, but you could see how Daniel Jones is kind of adapting to what the defense gives him and baiting off the Giants' own offensive tendencies, getting the defense to react a certain way, and then it opens up another option, and then he executes that option. It's another mental side of Daniel Jones that I like to see in this game.
2: Yeah, I think you're spot on there. I think from the mental processing side, this was one of Jones's best games, and you wouldn't think that by you know watching this on the first time through the broadcast or some of the rhetoric you've heard on Jones this week after the game, you know that night of the game and and through the week because it's kind of viewed as another bad game for Jones. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that's not what we saw in all 22. That's not what I saw, and it sounds like that's not what you saw in all 22. I think. The key here was his processing really improved. He's also obviously playing healthier, um, but his processing really improved. A lot of the Giants' negative plays were actually just blown pass protections and you know some play-action shots they tried that they couldn't figure out the protection for. And that was pretty consistent throughout the game, not just individual reps. But I think ultimately Jones had a really good game from a processing standpoint, from a poise standpoint, uh, and from a move standpoint. I don't think it was ultimately a lights-out game, a perfect game. I think while they're not easy throws, some of the throws he missed are the type of throws that if you're going to get that next level quarterback, that guy who can flip the script for you, that guy who can win you football games on his own when things may not be going right, when your offensive system is pretty archaic and not actually very good, when you have an offensive line that really hasn't played perfect, they had a nice four game stretch, but really hasn't been that great besides of it. You have a running game that, at times doesn't move the ball. And when you have receivers, like you said, who struggle to beat man coverage, ultimately sometimes what you're looking for is a quarterback who's not perfect, but who can make big-time throws. And there were big-time chances in this game. And Jones's ball placement was just a little bit off on them. The two red zone calls on the Giants' first drive where they moved the ball into the red zone, I think those were spots where, again, these aren't easy throws to make by any means. But I really liked the play calls. To, one, like I've been saying all season, when you're in the red zone, you should be taking shots into the end zone. When you're in the red zone, I one thing I hate the most from offensive coordinators, and this has been pretty consistent, I think, Nick, with Jason Garrett for most of the season until this series, and there's been others, but for the most part, it's been... He's not always taking shots into the end zone in the red zone. And I think the high EV play is to take your shots in the red zone. He did that twice on this first drive. Jones had a ball up the seam where he kind of hit on, on a little bit of a post route to Austin Mack. Somewhat overthrew him. Again, this is not an easy throw to make. But again, it's also a throw we sometimes see those big-time quarterbacks who are playing above the level, above the rim, making. And then the next play was good coverage against Mack, and I really like this route combination the Giants used on this next play to free up Mack in the middle of the field, just sending verticals on the left side on a trips formation and forcing that safety to take the two receivers who go vertical to the end zone, and that leaves that kind of crosser, deep crosser for Austin and Mack. Again, great coverage, but at the same time, you do see some quarterbacks who stay who play a little bit above the rim and make this throw, and there were obviously the deep shots as well, Nick, which we can talk about, We're just a little bit outside to the left on Slayton on one of them, the Ingram ball was just a little bit off target, so those are the things I'm looking for from Jones to also improve with the mental processing, just to kind of hit these throws on a more consistent basis.
1: That second one to Mack in the red zone, I, I do love that route combination as well. This is also an undrafted kid out of Ohio State, Austin Mack, against one of the right. best <laughs> slot corners in the league in Marlon Humphrey, and if we're going to be really fair, I, that the flag was thrown on the play, and it was picked up. It probably shouldn't have been. I didn't think the, the the defensive holding or the pass interference was egregious, but he did seem to have his hand on his hip. You saw a little bit of a twist, and I think it did affect the play. I don't know how the flag gets thrown and then picked up, but that seems to happen. I think that happened twice for That's the Giants. It happened twice for the Giants in the this year. In the, crazy. in the red zone, I believe, too.
2: I don't think I've seen that really much with many other teams, but it has happened twice
1: with the Giants this season. But either way, I, I'm not going to put that on Jones. I think... That's uh, no, not on Jones. Yeah, that one's not necessarily on under- The other one, though, it was a little bit high. You would ex- you would need Austin Mack to kind of climb that theoretical ladder and make that catch and get his feet in bounds. It would have been a tough play for him, absolutely. But I, I-, I concur with everything you say about Daniel Jones. I don't come away watching this game thinking negatively about him. You, sh- you I think on this season, when you look at the stats, you come away, oh, my gosh, that's egregious, that's disgusting. But – I have still shown I have still seen signs of progression this season this entire year I've seen him get better at things that he struggled with in his rookie season that's all that I can ask for now I does it make you feel comfortable going into year three with Daniel Jones as the quarterback is a common question that I think we're hearing and seeing around Twitter and at this moment I'm not ready to give up on him is what I would say I don't think that I am 100% sold on Daniel Jones, but he hasn't shown me a reason to give up on him quite yet because he keeps showing progressive signs.
2: Yeah, we're in the same boat on that. I'm not at all giving up on Daniel Jones, but it's similar to—it's funny. There was a bait on Twitter today. Somebody, I think from PFF, wrote an article about why, you know, the Dolphins, who have the, who are going to likely have the number three four pick because they made that excellent trade with the Texans mm-hmm. for two first-rounders, and that's going to be the Texans pick because the Texans are just so bad— why they should seriously consider taking a quarterback at three. And there will always be this two camps on this. There will be the one camp that says when you draft a quarterback, all you can do from that point on is build around him and never put any competition around him. Because when you put competition around him, uh uh-oh, he's going to get scared. He's going to lose his confidence. You're going to be showing, quote-unquote, no confidence in him. But then there's the other camp, the camp I subscribe to, Nick, which is, More competition and more talent at the quarterback position is always a good thing. And if you are the guy, the guy that's going to win Super Bowls for a franchise, you're going to rise above a team who drafts competition or a team who puts talent at the position around you. And if you don't, then there's a reason why you don't do that. So I think at all times the Giants should be considering the quarterback position unless Jones takes this massive leap and starts to look like, I don't know, like I don't even know who I could compare his game to, like who he could look like but maybe you know like like a, like a better version of like a Tannehill Ryan, I don't know, that type of thing. It's hard to make these NFL comps right now for Jones given what we've seen. But until he starts to do that or consistently make these big time throws and plays over and over and over again, then I'm going to be in the camp of considering quarterback anytime they have a quarterback prospect who's intriguing to me. And I'm also going to be in the camp of you can't go into a season with Colt McCoy as your quarterback too. And you need to bring in a big time quarterback too, because that's just the nature of the game to me, Nick. I believe the quarterback position makes the biggest impact by far. I know you agree with that. And I don't subscribe to the whole BS narrative that it's, you can't bring in competition. It doesn't show confidence in the quarterback. I don't like that crap. I've never been big on a lot of these narratives. And that's one of them that's always bothered me. So I'm with you, not ready to give up whatsoever. I can go either way. I don't ultimately think there's going to be a quarterback prospect who's going to intrigue me where the Giants pick. So ultimately, I'm probably going to be like, pass. But if I start to watch Trey, because I think that's going to be the only one who's on the board when the Giants pick who who could be considered, I don't think Kyle Trask— I mean, I could watch Kyle a little bit. I haven't seen much of Kyle Trask. He's an interesting prospect. But— If I start to watch those two and I come away really, really intrigued like I am with someone like Wilson, who won't be on the board when the Giants pick, then maybe I'll consider. But most likely, we're going to land in the same camp, build around Jones for at least next season. Let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors.
1: 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you the full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the US are visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore's total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. The NBA is back in action and football's heading into the playoffs. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to player and team and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day or every day. Head to BetOnline, online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use our promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I think everything should be considered, but there is an opportunity cost to selecting a quarterback high because you could draft somebody from another position, whether that be on the offense to assist Daniel Jones or on the defense to assist the team as a whole. So it's definitely a decision. I don't think anything should be ruled out whatsoever. It should be for what is best for the future of the New York Giants. And if that isn't Daniel Jones and Joe Judge feels like that isn't Daniel Jones because Joe Judge wasn't here when Daniel Jones was drafted or because Daniel Jones hasn't impressed Joe Judge, then the Giants have to go in that direction
2: ball well, at the same time obviously though and i know you'll agree with this i don't think they can view it like and this is my opinion i don't know this is a fact but it's something i fully believe and subscribe to i believe dave gettleman went into that 2019 draft wanting more than anything to find a quarterback he said even he even even some of the lines he said lead me to believe that this is not an opinion but a fact things like I my goal was to draft that quarterback so I can retire off into Nantucket in the sunset and know that I got the Giants their next Eli essentially he didn't say their next Eli but he said their franchise winning quarterback he said I went to the pro day I started to get to know Daniel Jones and I fell full, full bloom in love with him now I know you agree with me because we talked about this off pod but you can't ever go into a draft wanting to draft a position that's why when people talk to us on Twitter and I know you've gotten some of these questions I've seen some of your mentions and I know they're through uh through and through with mine you know like we go wide receiver round one, quarterback round two, right? No, wrong. You don't do that, actually. That's the opposite of what you want to do as as a general manager and a team builder. You never want to draft a position. You want to draft a player. And so ultimately, for me, it comes down to there is an opportunity cost, but you have to trust not only your evaluation of the player, but also more importantly, what a quarterback position can mean. Like, For example, the, the Arizona Cardinals took a massive risk when they drafted Kyler Murray one just one year after drafting Josh Rosen it was a big risk they could have said Rosen didn't have the right things around him year one all the reasons we drafted him at nine and liked him and traded up to draft him at nine are still in play and it was just one lost season and he's improving in x y and z but they knew that the upside of a player like Murray would be worth the opportunity cost risk and that to me Almost immediately paid off and will continue to pay off. So there's always that yin yang, and we'll have to see where that goes in the offseason. But ultimately, I'm with you. Probably build around Jones because A, they're not going to really have a chance to get any of the big guys. And B, like you said, there's still enough to like. And this was a good game in that positive direction, I think, when you watch the film.
1: Another for the people who listen to this podcast, follow along on Game Pass 10 25 left in the fourth quarter. It was a first and ten. It was a play that Dan referenced before, throw to Dante Pettis. This kind of shows that Daniel Jones might not be fully up to health right now, but he's coming along. He has his first read locked down, something that we've criticized Daniel Jones with in the past, where he locks onto his first read and he throws a football no matter what. He cocks his arm back to throw this football, doesn't like what he sees, keeps the ball, tucks it, flows to his left, and then... Kind of keeps his eyes downfield while two defenders are barreling down on him. On the run, he squares his hips towards Dante Pettis and just kind of sidearms the ball through a defender's arms. And the pass was pinpoint, high and outside. Defender could not get there to Dante Pettis. That was a really impressive throw. There are a couple of these in this game that Daniel Jones made.
2: More than a few. And what I really like about this throw is not only what you just mentioned, what I mentioned in the intro, which was that he was able to flip his hips back and reset his body while moving to his left, which is, by the way, your opposite-throwing shoulder. But what Nick said is is what's really interesting, and I think this has been something I saw more so his rookie season and some to some degree this season, but le- more so than I saw at Duke, and it's impressive, and that's a, his ability to change his arm slot when he's making his throws. On this throw, like Nick said, it's a bit of a sidearm. It's more of, I think, a, the three-fourths angle throw. What do they call it, the three-fourths? It's like that... Uh, kind of rivers they i don't know how how does rivers though they have a word for describing it's like three-fourths or
1: you're struggling saying the fourth right now (laughs) three-fourths three-fourths
2: it's just three-fourths it's a three-fourths throw from daniel jones but as you can see it if you want to check it out on game Pass, he really does an excellent job changing his arm slot and his arm angle while on the move which is really important because you have a lot of quarterbacks especially someone like daniel jones who for the most part while in the pocket is not over-the-top thrower. That's how he learned it with Cutcliffe. It's a really big reason why his accuracy, for the most part, is pretty solid because his arm mechanics are so strong. But he also then has the ability, like he shows on this play, to change his arm angle and to make an accurate throw. And like Nick said, this was a pinpoint shot to Dante
1: Pettis. Yeah, and then a couple plays later, second and 10, 10 2 Darius Slayton, who a lot of Giants fans are down on right now. And I feel rightfully so because we set high expectations for him and he set them for himself after a really, really promising Rookie season, but he made a really nice catch that I feel like we should just acknowledge. And it was a good throw by Daniel Jones, given the coverage. And he puts it outside of Darius Slayton, outside of the numbers, hard pass, hard velocity. But the coverage was inside leverage. And the only place to really put this football was towards that outside shoulder. I think Daniel Jones actually probably releases this a bit early because he had the time in the pocket. But good on Slayton because right as Slayton turns around, the ball is there and he's able to kind of fall to the ground and secure this catch. These kind of plays by Slayton i feel like he needs more of these because these last couple of weeks have been pretty bad and he's had a couple plays in this game where he kind of came away making strong catches but a lot of people kind of remember the two drops which they weren't great throws by jones the one wasn't necessarily dropped because i don't think he got his hands on it because he couldn't track the ball and the other one was slightly under thrown now a really really good receiver may be able to jump and win well, at people that people are catch calling play. those drops i think people are criticizing him for the one which one? The
2: one where he had to completely yes. adjust his yeah, the, body. Yeah, the adjustment one, yes. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to make that adjustment and make that it's catch? Tough, yeah. And the other one was under throw. Let's be honest. The ball was underthrown, throw.
1: Yes. I think a uh, a 50-50 contested catch type of receiver can maybe come down yes. with that, Allen Robinson can make both of those catches. The thing is they would have to <laughs> use their they would have to use their body in a way to shield the catch yes. point from the defender Darius Lane didn't necessarily do that all that well and then the defender I'm not sure if it was Humphrey or who it was on that play but they made a really good play on the football as well the ball if it was out just a little bit more that could have been a big game the
2: the, the one third one the yeah, the the one that was up the up the right sideline I yes. completely agree yes. with you though I do also agree that if that's Allen Robinson on the field and I've seen this over and over with him he's really good in the air from a body control standpoint yes and in all contested catch situations I think he makes both catches and that's somebody who the Giants obviously should have their eye on this offseason and who we'll be talking about a little bit later this offseason. But yes, I agree with you on that. And it is interesting because Slayton did show a little bit more. I never expected him to be a contested catch type player when he came out of um, Auburn, at least not from the tape I saw. But he did make a couple of those last season. The Detroit game against the Lions comes to mind from his rookie season where he made a couple of those nice contested catches. But they haven't really been there, like you said. This season, though he did make that obviously great adjustment on a similar play where he had to kind of adjust to the left and well earlier this season on what I guess people are calling a drop from this game. So it's interesting to see. Um if anyone wants to check out a play that I think really shows off a really good example of Daniel Jones's poise and his ability to maintain accuracy, despite a pass rusher leveling right down on him and despite getting clobbered after delivering the football, take a look at the end of the first quarter with 02 2 with O 2 left this is a really nice play it it, it he, he just misses here or Shepard just misses on this play but that's not really the point the point is Jones maintained accuracy despite getting hit from really a bad blitz pickup by a 22 goalman, despite the the linebacker leveling down right on him and yet this ball travels 25 30 yards in the air up the right hash on the right sideline and hits Shepard in the fingertips and it kind of goes back to what nick was just talking about before it's another play where yes it's not Shepard's forte Shepard's best thing is his route running ability and it was in the old offenses his yards after the catch for some reason in this giants offense yards after the catch is a non-existent factor but on this play it just goes to show another example of jones throwing maintaining his accuracy this and showing off his poise in the pocket with pressure coming down on him and a hit that he knows is going to come in him and the hit does come it also gives me you know a little bit of thought process to what you just talked about nick which is you know do the giants really need to take that step at receiver by adding a contested catch type receiver someone who can make these type of plays because there are a lot of passes that seem to just just miss and it seems like in this offense a lot of the Giants' bigger plays aren't yards after the catch plays for whatever reason. There just seems to be no space anywhere on the field for this offense. There's, just, there's no space in this offense ever. Like, we and Nick were talking about this off-podcast. Think about how few 65-yard touchdown passes the Giants have had this season. There have been a few slot verticals they connected on where it went down to one or two to, t- to tate so we can say that maybe should have been considered a touchdown or whatever it's close enough they obviously hit the big deep post to slayton on the first game of the season against the steelers literally game number one we're in game 16 here all right game 15 here sorry but there just haven't been any of those you know shepherd takes it 87 yards to the house against the eagles on that slant back in the McAdoo days or any of these big time yards after the catch even last year slayton had a couple where he Broke free after the catch, and there was enough space based on the route concepts. And I
1: remember one where Greg Williams ran Cover Zero. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And and, yeah, but that that was the defense allowed it.
2: And he, yeah, and it's just like that. This offense doesn't have that. And that, like overall, when you think about this Giants offense and the fact that there are no sixty-five yard touchdowns ever, and there's basically no yards after the catch within this system, it's a major red flag. It should be a major red flag. I mean. I've made my mind up. I don't want Jason Garrett back. I think it's going to be a disaster if they bring him back. This offense can get a little bit better, but it's not a good system by any means. It's been bad. He's been bad with Dallas. He's bad here. It's not good. But if you're looking for red flags or if you're in the bar and you're talking to Giants fans and you have any argument about who's to blame for this offense and they say it's all Daniel Jones or they say the receivers all suck. They can't get separation. Just reference the fact that this offense doesn't have really a single yard after the catch 60 or 50 plus yard TD and with the exception of that deep post to Slayton no 50 plus receiving TDs in in 15 games that to me is more of a spacing issue and more of a route design issue than anything else because Daniel Jones is good enough to make those plays he made those plays plenty during this rookie season so ultimately obviously there are Positives and negatives take away from everything. I thought this was a better game plan from Garrett. I thought when they were forced to the second 15 and he threw the and they ran the three verts and he hit and Jones threw a 20 yard dart to Dante Pettis past the sticks. So it was an awesome solution for the second 15. And like you said, there were some better clear out concepts vertically to like get underneath crossers with Evan Ingram that he took after the cut. So there were better signs from Garrett. I think he's getting better and he's getting more aggressive, but just overall, this offense doesn't create any yak.
1: No, they don't. And Garrett was calling plays based on what Wink Martindale was showing. He ran more mesh in this game because the Baltimore Ravens Thank are God. so heavy man coverage. But Martindale did a great job showing man, dropping into zone, doing the same thing, zone man, even though it's much harder to disguise it that way. And then... From an upfront standpoint, how many times did a free rusher come in on Daniel Jones virtually? And a lot of them were on play-action type passes at the first play of the free first play of the second half. Play-action pass, Giants are trying to hit a shot. They come, a free rusher right through the B-gap. Wayne Gallman has to fake the handoff and then try to block the guy. Yeah. And it just doesn't end up working out. Daniel Jones ends up getting sacked. I mean, there was a point in this game where Daniel Jones was sacked three consecutive plays. One of them was an unaccounted for... One of them was an unaccounted for blitz pickup. It seemed like it wasn't set. I thought Daniel Jones actually was solid, other than that play, trying to set the protections. He brought it down basically to one second a lot of the times, moving the running back around and kind of playing that game of cat and mouse with Martindale's defense. But on that one play, it just nobody picked up those blitzing guys. And you could see I think it was Austin Mack on the edge as the number two or three receiver pointing at hey, he's yep. throwing hot here. And Daniel Jones threw hot a couple times in this game, and it showed like a lot of ability to process. But on that play, he didn't notice it and he got absolutely annihilated. And that was three consecutive sacks in that sequence. One of them was Matt Parrott's fault, and the other one I think was just the offensive line being out schemed, which is something that is now starting to be more commonplace with the yeah. Giants, which is which is concerning. I think going up against cer- certain teams, like especially teams like this, this Baltimore Ravens defense, it, it's tough with the youth and inexperience of this Giants offensive line. It makes you question: is platooning really working too? Because Matt Parr comes in there, and he looks lost a lot of the times he looked lost in the run game too there was a rep where he went up against Calais Campbell Calais Campbell just took his inside arm grabbed him by basically the breastplate and just pulled him down to the ground it's like oh my gosh man like no wonder the Giants couldn't really get anything going on the ground in in those types of situations I thought there was a play with Will Hernandez where he was trapping, something that we agree Shane Lemieux does much better, and he basically doesn't target the end man on the line of scrimmage correctly, and then he jumps into the backfield and trips up Alfred Morris when Alfred Morris had a cutback lane he was about to hit, where he could have maybe maybe caught the edge and outran Chuck Clark for a four or five-yard game. Instead, it's like a negative one-yard loss because Hernandez doesn't do a good job framing his block there. It's just it's, this offensive line still— it's, I, I do think it's a lot better than it was last year. I do. And there's a lot of young pieces on it, which gives you encouragement to think, hey, they're going to keep getting better. But you hope that they actually do keep getting better. That's not a foregone conclusion as we talked about on the last podcast.
2: Yeah, and you're right. And the actual fact of the matter is that they've had three straight bad games, the offensive line. And the other fact of it is this is not... There's no excuses to be made. The Giants have made massive investments in their offensive line. They used the the fourth overall pick on a player who in my opinion, is not playing perfect football by any means. He's getting better. He's looking better. But he's not Tristan Worfs. Tristan Worfs was the guy they should have picked there. Let's be completely honest about it. It's a bad pick if Worfs continues to play at an all-pro level. There's no doubt about it. I'm sorry to say it. It's the damn truth. And there's even a rep early in the game that I watched where the Giants had a really good play call here. It's, it's the first play of the second quarter, first and ten. They ran that reverse to Evan Ingram. And it's a hard play to make. But if Andrew Thomas seals off 44 here, it's a massive game for Evan Ingram, and with his speed that we've seen once he gets that second gear rolling, this could be a really big game if he beats the safety, 32, to the edge. And I feel like on a play like this, if you have a Werfs out there in space, someone who's incredibly more athletic, and I know it's a hard play to make, this is not an easy play to come off and then seal that linebacker. But if you have someone with a little bit more athleticism like Werfs, I think you make the play, and I think it changes the whole game on this play.
1: It it could be uh, that is a very tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, because Humphrey because it was from a backside. Evan Ingram comes around the back of Daniel Jones and then he hands the ball off. So Humphrey sees that pre-motion pre-snap and he takes off just running at that time to cut the angle off and and Andrew Thomas is just a little bit slow there. That is a. That is a difficult play to make for Andrew Thomas against a player as heady as someone like Marlon Humphrey.
2: It's not easy, but I have seen a few times where I just felt overall through watching this whole season where Andrew Thomas hasn't looked insanely athletic in space trying to make these type of blocks. I don't think that's his forte, athleticism in space, personally.
1: Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I don't think he's a liability there. No, he's not a liability at at all. I think he's above average there, but in order to locate somebody who has a beat on the play and somebody as athletic as Humphrey, I wouldn't expect most tackles, the vast majority of tackles, to be able to cut that angle off.
2: It's possible, though, that the most athletic tackle in the history of the Combine, Tristan Wirfs, can do it. It's possible. <laughs> it's definitely possible. And I think he's made some of those plays this year. There's a reason why he's, you know, being talked about as not only the best offensive tackle from the rookies, but maybe the best right tackle in football right now. Which
1: is insane to think about.
2: It is insane to think about, but there's enough people saying it who watch a lot of film on offensive line that it's something to be considered. And Dave Gettleman has choice in any of the four. So don't please don't come talk to me and say that's just A-OK if you miss because you're supposed that I mean it's not easy the draft is not easy we always talk about it's a crapshoot but you know what the big time the big time teams are making big time calls and we'll see what happens there but it just seems highly unlikely to me that things are going to change drastically in that regard because Worf's whole thing was he was supposed to be raw and he was going to struggle at the beginning with all the technical stuff and that is not the issue so he could pretty much only get better but Who cares? That's not a big deal. As long as Thomas improves, it's fine. This was an okay game for Thomas. We can get into that. We're going to get a little more into the offensive line, but there are a few more things on the offense I wanted to talk about first. And we can talk about the good. The good is a play I liked from Jones a lot. And that was because I thought he did a really excellent job working back through his read and avoiding pressure and then using great ball placement on a play that ultimately went to cj board so let's break down this play here it's a second and 10 with 937 left in the third quarter from their own 22 they run a little rpo which was interesting to see the giants started to use that they haven't used it as much as we maybe hope this season because again this was something that jones was unbelievably efficient on in his rookie season and had a lot of practice with at duke and there's a blitzer screaming down but that's because that's part of the rpo i mean he's either reading down on the running back or he's coming free. And Jones does an excellent job avoiding the sack with his lateral agility, which remember, he had the best three-cone time of all quarterbacks of the 2019 Combine. He's a former basketball player, AAU. He's a very athletic quarterback from an agility and uh, lateral agility, I should say, standpoint, and his ability to move side to side. And he avoids the pressure, which this could have easily been a sack. This would have been a sack with Eli Manning and several of the quarterbacks. Slides to his left, then takes a hit from the edge who beats andrew thomas on the island and despite sliding to his left having to reset and take the hit he throws an excellent ball to cj board in the perfect spot instead of leading him inside he throws back to his outside shoulder so then board can take it and break back the outside and take another seven yards for uh some yards after the catch this is to me just like perfect daniel jones this is as good as it gets and this is the type of stuff that really has me excited watching him play
1: excellent footwork excellent toughness in the pocket right there because he, he gets drilled and he still yeah. fires a pinpoint ball over there to cj board that's another play that you're not going to hear too much about it was only a 16 yard gain, but it has to be instantaneous you have to react so quickly there you could hand the ball off you have the pulling shane lemieux there for the rpo but you read that linebacker who came down and now you have a decision but that linebacker can still kill you so when you don't hand that ball off you need to sidestep him and he did that well you're
2: damn right Nick he did that very well now let's talk to something that kind of had me scratching my head about Daniel Jones and we've seen this a decent amount it's kind of those pre-snap reads that he just locks in on and makes the throw no matter what and sometimes it's just like what the hell are you doing and I just I'm wondering what your take is on this and why he's making these throws like I'll, I'll give you an example it's the first quarter six twelve left second and seven from the Giants own 28 yard line I have no idea why he would ever make this slant throw because if you look at it before he even releases the football, the cornerback who's sitting at the who's sitting at the sticks drives down and takes two steps toward the slant route before Jones ever releases the football, throws it right into the slant anyway, and this should have been intercepted.
1: Yeah, this is one of those things where it's not a positive look on Daniel Jones because he's expecting given the pre-snap leverage that the cornerback is going to give space and not allow Sterling Shepard to chew all that grass and get up on his heels so when Sterling Shepard breaks inside he should have a couple yards of space because Anthony Averitt is going to back up but Averitt has watched his film he's coached well by this Ravens defensive coaching staff and he knows the Giants love to run quick slant flats in this one there wasn't even a flap because this was basically a four by one set and Sterling Shepard or I mean Darius Slayton was that backside receiver that was just a bad read by daniel jones if you watch the all 22 you can see that daniel jones is looking at darius slayton and at that time avert's already driving downhill on the route daniel jones just tried to fit this football in that's just a bad read and these are kind of the things that make you scratch your head about daniel jones sometimes and stuff that you don't necessarily want to see because that was a pre-snap assumption And he thought, hey, I can fire it in there real quickly. And he didn't adjust. You need to have that instantaneous adjustment in your head to be like, he's coming downhill. I need to either scramble or find another place to get rid of this football. But this play design had four route concepts to one side of the field and only one to the other. And he kind of sat on that one route concept for probably about a second, which is a long time. So he just kind of made that read and fired that football luckily it was not intercepted but it was not a great play and there
2: was a lot more good than bad on the film from daniel jones in this game and we've gone over that you can just tell by how much good we've already talked about and how little bad we've talked about but there does seems to still be especially on these quick hitting slants times where he's just making his read pre-snap throwing the ball there no matter what and on this play it should have been intercepted and there are a few of those every game but let's talk a little bit about the offensive line in this game as well nick and why they struggled so much all right, so on the offensive line, we'll start with the same play. We both have starred in our notes and circled. It's To me, it's just an example of what I've been seeing constantly, at least one per game, from Shane Lemieux and pass protection. And Matabuke, is that how you pronounce his name? Yeah. Okay, I got that wrong a few times off pod, so I'm glad I finally landed it. Matabuke, kid from Texas A&M, interior defensive lineman who Nick studied, scouted, really liked. I didn't do too much work on him. Another example of an excellent mid-round find by the Ravens on the interior defensive line another example of why when you're building a roster you don't need to use top 20 picks all the time on interior defensive linemen it's the deepest position by far easiest position to scout and find gems in because there's so many of them and this is a great hit for the Ravens they didn't have to use a big pick on him and he makes a big impact in this game on this play and in general for that team but this play for those of you following along it's the third quarter 528 left and this is a drive debilitating sack it is second and 15 when this happens with Shane Lemieux and the drive's just over after this they can't get back out of it and it stalls and I believe they settle for three here so what happens on this play Nick
1: so Matabuke is lined up as the three technique and Shane Lemieux opens up outside a little bit just slightly squares up tries to go with a nice punch he's kind of tight his pad level's a little bit high and his base is pretty wide but as he goes to punch Matabuke hits him with a hard just double swipe move to knock his hands down and if you pause it right at the contact point you can see Lemieux basically standing straight up his base is insanely wide and his left arm is just out with no contact and his right arm is basically trying to hold Matabuke from gaining that inside leverage that he's basically already established and then Matabuke brings that outside arm right through the inside arm of Shane Lemieux and rips underneath Lemieux. And Lemieux basically just holds him at that point and there's nothing that daniel jones can really do he tries to step up into the pocket because wayne gallman was there to assist but gallman was about to release into a route because this happened so quickly it happened right off the snap and i don't know how many times on this podcast dan we've talked about how Shane lemieux struggles with these initial hard pass rush moves from quick interior defensive linemen and strong interior defensive linemen Matt bouquet he's a little bit more of a quicker one if i had to compare him to somebody on the giants it's not a complete comparison but if i had to it would be more of a bj hill he's not a dalvin tomlinson He's more of a BJ Hill type of one-gap penetrator who relies on his athletic ability, active hand usage, violent hands, and ability to kind of win one-on-one reps. And he just dominates from the beginning of this rep and makes Shane Lemieux look like he has no idea what he's doing. Nick Gates was uncovered on this play. Nick Gates could either block and help Shane Lemieux, Shane Lemieux has a three-tech, or the one technique, more of a two-eye technique, really, on Kevin Zeitler. So... Obviously, he's going to look at the first person who's closest to him. So, Nick Gates looks at Kevin Zeitler's guy, who's a two-wide technique. And then he sees that Lemieux is getting beat so badly that he tries to come back to help Lemieux. But by that point, Matabuke is already busted through the line. It was a terrible rep. And we see this every week from Shane Lemieux. I don't want to sit here and just bash the guy because I do think, for where the Giants got him, he's a steal. I think that's safe to say. But the guy is still being overwhelmed in pass protection every single week i wouldn't even call him a
2: steal i'd say it's a fine pick at fifth round this a steal is somebody who'd be dominating right now in pass pro and not having these every single week this is every single week with him at least one of these um and yeah he's pretty good in the run game i don't think he's anything too special there it's a solid pick it's a fine fifth round pick and you know there are team plenty of teams who find guys like this in the fifth round though who are bad in pass pro and good in the run game um i don't understand why this guy's still playing over hernandez again we've rehashed this too many times there's no point in going over that but I did want to bring it up because it keeps happening with Lemieux and it's not a good sign and I don't think that this is something that's going to immediately be fixed with him and I'm curious what their plan is when it comes to Lemieux and when it comes to the guard position in general but I want to talk a little bit about the right tackle position because this was a position where I think not just me and you but most Giants fans probably penciled in Matt Parrott as the 2021 right tackle starter from week one somebody they could rely on somebody who just you, you thought natural progression-wise could be ready for it? I think that might have been a little too optimistic, a little too Pretty aggressive. Mature. Yeah, Because development at the NFL level is not easy, the offensive tackle position especially. When you consider the guy came from UConn, did not play against any competition anywhere near anyone he's going to see at the NFL level. Probably didn't have to do half the pass sets he has to do here. And it's not really coming along that fast for him, I don't think. In your mind right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, because I love to do these scales of 1 to 10, Nick. You do, you do. How confident are you with Matt Parrott as the starting right tackle for week one of the 2021 season?
1: I would say probably a 3 right now. Because I think he can do it, and I think if you if he gets with the right – Coaches on the in the off season, and he really works at his craft. Which there's nothing to suggest that he will not, that he can develop because he has a lot of different tools. He is incredibly young, and he's coming from a smaller level. So you tend to see a lot of guys kind of come into the league, struggle initially, and then they find their way with more experience. And I think. Per- can do that I think he's shown a lot of promising signs but it's been a little bit rocky recently and in this game specifically especially against a, a pass rusher like Matt Judon who does have a lot of those power moves something that we thought he would stru- struggle with coming into the season Matt pair because he's a little bit of a he looks more like a jacked up tight end he's he's very he's a lean big guy if that makes any sense and that first sack on the three sack uh, trio of plays he was just beat off the edge by Judon Gets beat up to the upfield shoulder. Judon just kind of uses a quick club with his inside arm to knock Parrot's outside arm down. That brings Parrot's momentum downward. So then Judon dips that inside shoulder and then rips right through Matt Parrot's outside shoulder. Parrot hugs him and basically tries to drag him to the ground to prevent the sack, but damn the contact balance on Judon here. I didn't realize Judon he was so
2: good in this game. I didn't
1: realize he was that flexible as a pass rusher. The, the the hip and ankle flexibility he used to corner against Parrot and just win at the top of the arc was very, very impressive. And I know Parrot struggled mightily in this game, but I don't that's also because Matt Judon is such a stud, too.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you want to see and I'll get into Parrot in a second, but I think literally the single best rep by any player at any position, either team, in this game, came in the third quarter with five fifty eight left. And this was such a big play, too, because this play changes the entire drive. The Giants are all the way at the Baltimore 19 at first and 10, and they try to run that throwback screen that had been working. And the play that Matt Judom makes to blow this play up from where he's coming from to fight through those blockers and stop Sterling Shepard for a negative five-yard gain, if he doesn't make that play, there is a lot of there's about four Giants blockers in front of him and a lot of green grass for Sterling Shepard and this could be a touchdown ultimately it turns into a second and 15 the Giants get sacked on the next play and they're forced to kick a field goal that's a game-changing play by Judon
1: and I like this play call a lot by Jason Garrett because it does have a vertical element take that safety or take that field side cornerback away occupy the deep safety but they use Sterling Shepard in motion and ravens were in man coverage so they brought the guy from the back side of the play but if you watch this play when daniel jones releases the football there's five blockers in sterling Shepard and three purple jerseys and matt judon is able to split a double team and make the tackle that's just effort right there and (laughs) i mean it's hard to block somebody as athletic as matt judon in space but you have five guys there you need to freaking figure it out because you're right this should have been a touchdown play it was a very nice design by jason garrett
2: really nice design by jason Garrett, and this was i think the best play that i have seen pretty much the entire game by any player and i'm interested to see matt judon and if he ends up hitting the free agent market because he is slated to be a free agent here this coming season he i believe he signed the franchise tag last year that means the ravens may not use it on him again because that goes up even further though they still might they're in a good cap position with lamar jackson as still on that rookie deal no real big contracts anywhere on that offense, to be completely honest, except for Stanley, who they've re-signed to a big one. They had Yonda. He'll be fully off the books, too. Um, so I think ultimately he does re-sign, but he's someone who, if he hits the market, and what a pick by the Ravens. Fifth-round pick at a Grand Valley State. I was going to say, what was a Grand Valley, right? Grand Valley State. <laughs> Fifth-round pick. What a freaking steal that was. But he's still just 28 years old and he seems like he'd be a really nice fit in Patrick Graham's defense. So he's someone to keep an eye on because Judon was awesome in this game.
1: Judon was awesome in this game, and he was also a part of the second sack in the three sack, yeah. uh, three consecutive sacks plays, and that was just a stunt that was poorly managed by Matt Parrott and Kevin Zeitler. And remember, this was right after Matt Parrott gave up a sack to Judon. What I think happened here is Parrott focused basically most of his attention purely on at Judon and then see the entirety of the play because this becomes kind of an obvious stunt about a second after the snap. Calais Campbell goes and does what you see in a stunt. He splits the guard and the tackle, attacks that B-gap vertically. Judon releases vertically as well and Parr doesn't realize the stunt. So Kevin Zeitler goes to pass Calais Campbell to Parr, but Parr still has his eyes on Judon at that part. Uh, Kevin Zeitler transitions off to Judon and Parr never picks up Calais Campbell and Daniel Jones ends up getting sacked by both uh Calais Campbell and Pernell McPhee who came in as a stunter from the other side of the line of scrimmage
2: and these are the type of snaps I think that really it these are the ones I would say that concern me most about Parrott being the starter for the first week of 2021 because these are still the mental ones and these are the ones that you know need to not be there you can't have plays like this but ultimately the Giants don't have I mean again let's keep in mind this was when the, everybody the Giants make a draft pick and you're like this guy can be the starter here this guy can be started there. He was still, you know, barely a top 100 pick. This isn't a guarantee. When you take an offensive tackle outside the top 10, there ain't no guarantee. When you take one outside the top 75, that's still somebody who could, who could miss. There's tons of misses. I remember the Patriots took a guy, one pick before the Giants, who I loved a bunch of drafts ago. He was really athletic guy. I think it's like Antonio something. I don't remember who he was. Totally busted out of the league within two years, and I was so mad when the Giants didn't get him. And it just goes to show, you know, those highly athletic good prospects to take gambles on are gambles they're gambles when you're taking an offensive tackle that late it's a gamble so for me I'm I, I am adding right tackle to the list of needs this offseason because I don't love Matt, Pat, uh, Cam Fleming's game and ultimately it kind of leads me back to their best option might be to just stick with Nate Soldier and try him out at right tackle because Nate Solder may be a year removed maybe a little healthier not a little less wear and tear as long as you know he still has the ability to bend he's getting older obviously and that was clearly an issue for him I believe in 2019 he started to lose some of that bend that flexibility I felt like was a major issue for Solder but he may be their best option at right tackle and so it'll be interesting to see what they can do there but at this point my hopes and dreams which were Pert and Thomas as the two starters week one of 2021 they're starting to to dim a little bit
1: I don't think that's a bad take whatsoever, and I definitely think it's an option. If you look on the other side of the line of scrimmage on the the play that we just went over, Shane Lemieux, another rookie who was a later-round pick, struggles to handle a stunt here where Nick Gates passes off the linebacker who's over the top of him to Shane Lemieux, and Shane Lemieux takes another blitzing linebacker over to Andrew Thomas, but never comes off to receive the transitioning person off of Nick Gates. But the person I really wanna highlight here, because the other two are low lights, is Nick Gates. Because yeah. Nick Gates, man, look how low he gets, how he extends and how he transitions, and watch his feet, how he just pushes him aside flips his hips right back to the inside and picks up that looper. It's just Shane Lemieux can never handle the transition. He kind of turns his back, riding the other player up to Andrew Thomas instead of feeling that transition out. The communication has been a little off with this offensive line. They definitely don't look as cohesive as you would expect them to look at this point of the season. And a lot of the reason people were saying they
2: got to go with Lemieux, the reason the Giants offensive line is getting better without with Lemieux Hernandez was the supposed communication being a lot better. But in the last three games, that has not been the case even with Shane Lemieux taking the vast majority of snaps. But I think the key takeaway here is what Nick said. Nick Gates is the real deal, boys and girls. I mean, yes. we we had our reservations about him the beginning the season. Those are almost all gone for me, I'm sure. Is that pretty much the same with you, Nick? Yeah, it is. They G- stole him. This was yes. a gem. This is a really good find by Dave Gettleman. You know, you. I, like I say, I will give credit to Dave when it's due. This was a great find by Dave. He's playing even better than I could have ever expected.
1: And I think he can only... I mean, you could get worse, but I think he's going to continue to get better. He's going to get better. Up.
2: I think his trajectory is up.
1: That transition is tough, man. Tackle to freaking center. Yeah. Everything is different about that. Not even talking about from a physical standpoint, but a mental standpoint. And he did that in the freaking 2020 offseason and handled it as well as he has in an offensive line that has been kind of a mess all season. He's been one of the one of the more impressive parts of it.
2: I think he's been the most impressive part on this offensive line. I'm willing to say that. Now, 15 game sample size, I've seen some flashes from Thomas. Zeitler, obviously, is pretty solid but inconsistent. But I still think, honestly, Gates has probably been my number one lineman that I've seen.
1: Especially with the expectations we had, with all that we had our reservations, and I, I think the reservations were sound reservations. But he's debunking those, and that's the only thing I want. Please make me wrong, Nick Gates, Mm -hmm. and all I want is for you to succeed. And you've shown so many signs from a pass protection standpoint, from a pulling into space standpoint, and I just love how after every play, this dude is getting into scrums that aren't necessarily causing penalties, but you could just see that toughness that he has. He almost got into a fight in this game where he was blocking somebody way down the field all the way to the whistle. You love to see that kind of grip from a player.
2: All that's great. What I really love is what you said, his pass protection. His pass protection is so spot on, lights out. He's always helping in pass pro too, which I really just can't remember seeing much from Pulley or um Jalapeo when I was watching the Giants film these past two seasons before this one. Something new that I, you know, think is really excellent from Gates and the Giants center position in general anything else you want to touch on on the offensive side of the ball before we wrap things up any players any plays any concepts anything like that
1: i got one for you dan i like how jason garrett had a route concept that had the running back running basically a vertical up the seam oh yeah i I loved seeing that implemented and i know a big part of our podcast in the past was us complaining about not using the running back in the middle of the field mostly on angle routes Texas concepts because I still think a Texas concept with Saquon Barkley which obviously we can't hold that against Jason Garrett you have him running that angle route with Evan Ingram running a clear out from a from either a Y position or an H-back position I think that could be a really dangerous concept for the future but just seeing Wayne Gallman release up in the middle of the field I, I did like to see that and Daniel Jones put a nice throw on his back shoulder
2: yeah it was another great play by Garrett Garrett actually had a much better game this still doesn't mean I'm confident in going forward I still want them to upgrade The offensive coordinator position, but more of that would be great. And I hope we would actually see more of, which we really haven't seen in the last few games at all. They tried one wide receiver screen. They're not doing any running back screens, no middle screen. I love a good middle screen. There's no middle screen in this playbook. And there's not much screens at all, especially when the wink is, you know, the Ravens and Wink Martindale are having so such an aggressive game plan. I feel like a screen could have really worked. The thing with a screen is it needs to be practiced well, it needs to be repped out well in practice because the linemen need to be on the same page and they need to be flowing and they need to be and the timing needs to be right. And I think they don't run it enough at this point for it to be something you just use randomly. But I do think it would have been a good part of this playbook for this season.
1: I would love to see more screens as well. It seems like every time the Giants have tried, there's like one offensive lineman. It doesn't. Yep. Sound- It well enough, and then the defensive player's like, Hey, wait, what the hell's going on? And then he goes and blows it up while there's like three or four. It's like when you play Madden and you try to run a screen and it doesn't work out, and you're like, There's three of you there, why don't (laughs) you block this guy? And it just doesn't happen. I hate when that stuff happens, but no, I I, um, there were positive things to take away, surprisingly, mostly on the Daniel Jones front, but yeah, all in all, we, me, you, everybody listening to this, we just want this offense to be. A much more reliable asset and it just has not been in 2020 it's been a pretty big disappointment yet we still have a shot at the playoffs which is just one of the more pathetic aspects of the nfc right now
2: yeah exactly and we'll see what happens the giants will play the cowboys this weekend and they need to beat the cowboys and have the eagles who will be playing jalen hurts defeat the Washington football team who we don't know who the quarterback will be it won't be Dwayne Haskins because they released him but it'll either be Taylor Heineken or Alex Smith so we'll see what happens I got my fingers crossed I'm still rooting for the Giants obviously uh I hope that for the future they don't you know they they don't make the playoffs and then decide that's progress to keep Dave Kettleman this guy's done a terrible job I don't care how and what anyone on here tells me because I know the facts um but Ultimately, I'm still rooting for them to make the playoffs.
1: So am I, absolutely, but it's wild because the, the Giants pick, yeah. could either make the playoffs or, if things fall a certain way, have the third overall pick behind the Jets.
2: Yeah, I think it's they can either—technically, they can pick anywhere from 3 to 32 because if they make the playoffs and win the Super Bowl, they'll have the 32nd pick. Yeah. What a weird— weird scenario for week 17 i don't think that's ever happened i don't think anything like this will ever repeat itself in the history of the nfl it's a lot of ineptitude i will never i can never imagine this ever happening again where a team could either pick three or 32 based on a series of outcomes in week 17
1: what would have to happen i'm guessing the texans and the Bengals would both have to win there's for like the five, crap to team.
2: five crappy teams would have to win i think it is the vikings one of them or do they already have six I don't know if the Vikings are one of them. I don't actually I didn't follow it. I have no idea who those five teams are. The Bengals and Texans are, are yeah, they're sorry, definitely are definitely one of them or two of them, I should say. I think ultimately if the Giants lose this game and don't make the playoffs, they'll pick somewhere between closer to uh, between six and 10 or seven and 10 it seems more likely. I'm not sure it's going to matter regardless it, at, at that point. It depends we'll have to see what the how the board shakes out. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of teams in the market for quarterbacks in the draft i think the quarter i think three quarterbacks will go before the giants pick and i know i said that last year when it came to the the draft or i didn't i don't think i said it at four but i thought someone would trade ahead of the giants at three to take Tua or herbert and i was wrong those teams sat on it i hope that doesn't happen again
1: i guarantee if they could redo it herbert would be the second overall pick if not the oh, first. of course
2: yeah if they could redo it if, they, if we could redo the draft right now, the Giants should take Justin Herbert over Andrew Thomas. I'm sorry, anyone on this podcast who disagrees with that. I'll, or, talk to me on Twitter. If you don't think the Giants should have drafted, in hindsight, should have drafted Justin Herbert, you're just dead wrong. You don't understand how football works and what wins and loses football games. Because the Giants with Herbert and Jones on the roster are a better team right now than the Giants with Jones and Thomas. I hate to say it. It's the damn truth. But that's life. It's hard to take a quarterback when you have someone coming off a rookie season only the cardinals have pulled that one off and it seems like not many other teams have tried it and... daniel
1: jones showed a lot more signs oh yeah i'm not showing, saying rosen. they should I, I know i know i know but i'm just want to say like josh yeah. rosen looked really lost yeah, yeah. in his in his first season he really in Arizona.
2: did he really really did all right that's all we have for today on the offense podcast stick was thank you for tuning in as always to the big blue banter podcast make sure you hit the download button on all of these podcasts if you're looking for more content, go back and listen to our OCU manure interview from a couple of weeks ago. We really liked that one. It's pretty evergreen, and I think it'll give you a good insight into not only his playing days, but why Patrick Graham's defense is so good with really minimal talent, which we'll get to on the next podcast, because I was really disgusted with with just some of the players that were playing massive snaps. I mean, this, this Gettleman, or whoever the hell the GM, really needs to step up on defense next season and, and add more pieces for Graham, because... It wasn't pretty in this game, but we're also going to have more content throughout the weeks, offseason, a lot of good draft and pre-agency stuff on the Big Blue Vander podcast. Do us a favor, hit that like, hit that subscribe button on iTunes, make sure you download the podcast, like I said, leave us a rating and review if you want to help, and follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueVander, otherwise, we'll talk to you later, and have a great rest of your week.